This is Sunny, and this is a Sunny Look at the Bible. Our new study is called Adding Jesus to Your Today. Every week for six weeks, we're going to learn how to add Jesus to every trial and trauma. In fact, especially in every trial and trauma, it is an opportunity to add Jesus. Now, I believe life doesn't happen to us. Life happens for us. But let's talk about how that works and how that works for you. Let's start now right into adding Jesus to your today. Truth. Truth is the first part of what we're going to talk about. And then we're going to talk about teachability because we can hear the truth, but then we can just hear it. And we can reject it or we can hear it and we can just be neutral on it and it doesn't apply to us. Uh, and Or we can be teachable and we can learn from truth and then we can implement it into our life. I'm also going to talk today about judging and the truth about are we to judge or are we not to judge. And uh, again, in church culture, you've probably heard... Uh, don't judge lest ye be judged. You've probably even heard it in the King James ver- Version. Uh, don't judge lest ye be judged. And you, you've you heard it in a way that seems like, uh, you know, we are never to judge. And actually, I'm going to shed light on that as well. So let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to jump into our teaching for today. So God, thank you for my friends who will watch this live, who will watch this on the replay, and many who will just join because they see someone else watching or because it's shared on a timeline and they stumble upon this. And God, for people who are looking for their truth, God, I pray that you would reveal to them that there is one truth. And in that truth, there is so much peace. Actually, there's so much freedom. And God, I pray that this will reach the right ears. This will reach the right eyes. And God, this will be taken in by all those who are searching, all those who don't feel like they're searching, but maybe they're not sure how to help others out of confusion. Maybe some who are just a bit confused on uh life and really life right now uh, seems like there's so many opinions and so many divisions and there's such disunity. So God, to say there's one truth in one way when right now there's at least two because we're living in such a divided culture of divided politics that are engaging people who stayed out of politics before. And now our world is so divided and beyond two divisions, there's more and more and more. So to have one truth in one way uh, just seems mind-blowing to so many. So God, lead us today through the scriptures that point us to truth, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about truth, and you may have heard in a past church experience from a pastor that uh, there is one truth, but maybe that was conveyed to you in such a way that it felt very hellfire and brimstone, very aggressive at you. And so I want us to back up, and I want to talk about truth. I'm going to talk about teachability because teachability is taking truth, learning from it, and growing. And then I'm going to I'm going to also debunk the whole thought of judge not um, that we are not to judge that only God is the judge because actually the Bible says we are to judge. But here's the thing: 
do we really want to get in that slippery slope? So we're going to talk about all of those subjects today in what is from chapter six and chapter seven of my 10 chapter book that we'll be releasing next year because the manuscript from this goes to the publisher August 3rd. And we start the process of deep editing as of August 3rd. But what you're getting is this inside uh, scoop or this inside into even the writing of the book because I'm layering it in order of how you add Jesus to your today every day. So we'll begin with chapter six or the subject of truth. Now I went to Ireland. It's a beautiful country, gorgeous. Everything that you could imagine, uh, it is. Everything that you've heard or seen on movies, the rolling green hills, absolutely that is Ireland. It's beautiful. Just go outside of the cities and the few major cities that are there and you are, even on the highway, you are looking to the right and left at beautiful green rolling hills. Well, we got off of the interstate onto what is considered their road or highway, which don't have lines down the center. They don't have shoulder lines. They don't have shoulders. So little tiny roads, uh, the edge of the road without a shoulder. So the, the, outside of your lane basically can be side, a side of a mountain cut out. And if you're to get too far over, you'll just sideswipe. Most rental cars in Ireland, I've noticed, the both sides of the car are like uh, indented and streaks from them hitting something on the side, probably the mountain that's been, or the little hill that's been carved out. That's how small the roads are. So we're off already into this roadway. And then I notice all of these sheep that are laying near the homes or in the farms of what you would imagine of Ireland farms. And I noticed that there were these rocks that were stacked only a few feet high. They were beautiful. And at first I thought, well, those are just property boundaries. But then I realized the sheep were inside the rocks, but the rocks weren't very high. Like a four-year-old could crawl over or maybe even hurdle them. They're so low. And I thought, why are those sheep that obviously belong to that farmer or shepherd not going in that person's and vice versa? And they were just chilling. They were just laying there. Now, I was raised on a ranch and cattle, a livestock ranch, and sheep really was our major focus. In fact, one year, my dad uh, had 2,000 head of sheep. And when I say that, I mean ewes. I mean uh, female sheep that would have anywhere from many sheep don't have a single baby. They have, most have twins. So you have single twin. Also, you can have triplets and quadruplets. And so it was just crazy during lambing season, which doesn't go very long for very many months in the spring. And so I'm familiar with sheep. And, and as I saw these sheep not really going anywhere, I thought, maybe that's not an Ireland thing. Maybe that is a sheep thing. Because I don't really remember the sheep trying to get through our five foot high barbed wire lined fences. It was the cattle or it was the horses that would try to get out of the higher fences. But the sheep we had higher fences probably because we were keeping all the livestock in our area. But in Ireland, when they just had sheep, they only had rock fences. This made me think. This made me really contemplate. And immediately while I was in Ireland, I thought of the verse, Psalm 23, <clears throat> 1 through 3, excuse me. <clears throat> I apologize on the podcast for giving you only my coughing. Uh, 
It says in Psalm 23, one through three, a Psalm of David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths in his name's sake. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me all I need. And when I thought about that, it's that these sheep knew where their boundaries were. They laid down. They weren't worried about it. And there was security in the boundary for the sheep. The sheep didn't have to push the boundary and see if they could jump the rocks because honestly, they could have. They had the security of knowing these are the boundaries. And this is how we are when it comes to truth. When we know our boundaries, there is security in the boundary. There's security in knowing what are the limitations of what I am to do with my life and do with myself, do with my heart and my mind, because the truth of knowing that will bring security because those boundaries actually bring peace. So let me point out that where there where truth and peace are not found. There's a few places. Peace is not found in the newest blog or a philosophical Facebook rant. That's just not where truth, and think about, do you get peace from someone ranting? No, and it's not just because, because I've seen people who are Facebook ranting. It doesn't mean that they're using swear words. It's just, they can be eloquent and they can even sound very convincing, but it leaves you feeling ugh. There's a lot of people who are self-help or leadership experts or life coaches or even um, progressive progressive Christians. That's the new thing that's coming on the the forefront. Um, there's some authors that would for sure claim Jesus. There's some pastors who would um, who would say Jesus is one of the options, but that we need to be more open-minded and that there are more roads that lead to heaven than what we said. And actually the Bible is clear. There's one road and that only is through Jesus that leads to eternal life. There aren't many roads and there are progressive Christians who the the, the the problem with it is that they are claiming Jesus. Like, I don't need to think Tony Robbins, everything he says is gospel because he never claims the gospel, right? Tony Robbins, he might say God, Oprah might say God, but Tony Robbins isn't trying to say, I am a Jesus Christ relationship-based man of God who believes in the Bible. And now I'm going to tell you five things that don't line up with scripture. Tony's Tony. And he says some things that I go, that's a really good point, but I don't base my theology on what he says, because I know that he's not claiming it, but progressive Christians would base that. Oh yeah, I'm going off the Bible, but this is what new thought has revealed to us. And, uh, that's, that's a scary slope. And that's not one that we should be watching. But then what happens is they mix in scripture reference or they mix in the word, the name of Jesus or the name of God. And then they continue to eloquently say something. And at the end, you feel like something's missing or you feel a little gross. And that would be a philosophical Facebook rant or a book or a blog. That reality is it's not that they were yelling and screaming and swearing that made you feel unpeaceful. It's that there wasn't truth in it. Let me tell you the definition of truth. Uh, well, I'm going to give you just a piece of it because there's there's a more thorough that I have in my book, but ultimately it's fidelity, fidelity to an original or to a standard. So truth, it has to have an original 
basis really to be truth. There has to be a place of fidelity or an original place that creates that standard where everything else is measured. But I want to point out to you that an addition was made to the definition. Now, this is just on Wikipedia because Wikipedia can at any point add or subtract, right? But they added to the definition of truth recently by saying truth may also often be used in modern context to refer to an idea of truth to self or authenticity. That's where I'm saying this isn't uh, going to be a day where you're going to learn how to find your truth. You will find your truth, the right truth, when you when you will align with or admit that the only truth or the only original standard is the word of God. And so what I think is funny about this addition is they immediately started adding vague words, even in the addition to the definition. Truth may also often be used. May also often. All of that is like Backtrack, back it. Yeah, we don't want to say there is a standard of truth, but there is. The Bible addresses truth, in fact, in Colossians 2 6, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by one, philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophy and empty deceit. Did I not just reference that when I'm talking about progressive Christians, when I'm talking about authors who they're with a quasi-Christian author or publisher, I'm sorry, publisher. Um, and so that publisher allows them to take liberties and they don't have theologians look over the content and they are big sellers. So then these people can continue to sell more and more books in order to um, appeal to the audience because it tickles the ear. But the Bible addresses it, that it says, see that it to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. This is philosophy of people and empty deceit. It leaves you feeling empty. In fact, then you're like, I need the next book by her. I need the next book by him. Okay, number two, this is in Colossians. They'll take you captive according to human tradition. Number three, according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's straight from the Bible, Colossians 2, 6. So, you know, we can say, well, but you're referencing the Bible and who's to say that the Bible was the original standard of truth. In fact, who's to say the Bible is really the oldest book? I've heard that, but who's to say that? So I looked this up on a non-Christian website, completely disconnected from anyone who would say the Bible is truth. And this is what I found. Of the three religious texts of the three great world religions, the Holy Bible is the oldest. The Holy Bible, unlike the Quran and Begfadid Kida is not a single book. I probably butchered that. The Bible is actually a collection of many writings that have been written over the course of 1,500 years. So not only is the Holy Bible the oldest book, it is a collection of many writings, and those writings came over the course of 1,500 years. Now, the, what proves this historically is that the authors were spread apart by centuries, and yet the congruency of the Bible proves to historical scholars, not biblical scholars, and scientific uh, uh, scholars to say this proves in itself that this 
book is inspired. This book is different. Uh, so why, if the Bible has been proven to be the oldest book of the, uh, in the world and it's a collection of writings, why do some people reject truth? And here's the thing. I think we all struggle with the stallion spirit. So I talked about sheep and I talked about the importance of their softness and their understanding that they have a shepherd. Physical sheep have a shepherd. Sometimes we call them a rancher, sometimes a farmer, but ultimately a shepherd who cares for the sheep. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice and the sheep are content and the sheep trust. We are called to be like that, to know that not only do we have a shepherd, but the Bible says we have a good shepherd. And so how much more to trust in a good shepherd uh, because we, if we hear his voice and know him and trust him, it softens us. It softens us like the sheep that ultimately is a good thing to be. But we live and we fight a stallion spirit. I'm going to give you another ranch story since I'm a ranch girl. And I'm going to uh, tell you about when I was, I think I was 11. And we were on our ranch in Montana. And we were on one of the few hills on that part of our ranch. And there were very slick, flat-topped rocks. And so my horse and I and my mom and her horse were going around the corner to try to, to get the cattle to come back to where we needed them to be. And as we rounded the corner of this hillside, we were, we were, looked like we needed our V8, right? Like we needed uh, to go up straight, but we were leaning and leaning into that hillside to try to keep our balance and to, to curve around. Well, my horse, who was 24 years old, that's old for a horse. He was at his top speed at that point. I'd never felt him or seen him go that fast. I mean, in fact, he was my dad's horse. And so we're going around the corner and we hit one of those flat top rocks, just slick as can be. And we both slide, the angle we're at, we slide on our face. My mom came around the corner and my face and my horse's face matched and we were skinned up from the side of the, the hill. There was a lot of cactus out there. I'm grateful, didn't end up with cactus, just skinned up. And this was a male horse. He was 24 years old and I'm surprised he got, he got that aggressive, but it was like, he saw those cows and he knew what I needed him to do. And he went for it. And man, we suffered the consequence of that, that, um, that spirit in him. But see, there is a spirit in a horse that means they have to have higher fences than cows, than sheep, because even though sheep can jump high, cows can get over fences. The horse really can. And it's the spirit of the horse that will, will get away. Now, a horse that has been broken, one that doesn't have that stallion's rebellious spirit that's literally been broken, you might be able to put them in a very low fence because the spirit is broken. And so listen to what Isaiah 53, five through seven says. It says that he, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. It says he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. Now, this would be straight away. This is where he's talking about when sheep, the 99, and then one goes away and he will come after the one. The sheep don't run away in a, in a, a stallion spirit. Sheep typically stray away. It's a slow straying away from the truth. A stallion or a rebellious spirit, as it says, he was pierced for a rebellion. His his death on the cross handled the rebellion of our stallion spirit. Uh, it handled 
the fact that some sheep will stray away and it's not a rebellious spirit. It's just a little at a time we strayed away from the truth. What I love about truth is that God sent his son Jesus to die so that he could pull us in and we could all yet again receive the truth. But many of us reject the authority of truth. And I, and I think that the reason that we have that rebellious stallion spirit is because we all feel like we need to be able to run free. We feel like, if anything, I need to stay in control of my own life. But that perception is a touch of human nature. But as we have learned in the previous weeks, uh, it also may be heightened that that perception of I need to stay in control may be heightened through family beliefs, trauma, religious confusion, social norms, and other things. So sometimes we do not see things the way they are, like we could trust in a good shepherd. We see things the way we are. And if we're uh, broken, not in like a, the, the way I was just talking, but broken in a traumatic, unhealed way, or we are responding out of aggression, anger for all that has happened to us, we we don't respond to truth the way that truth is and who God is. We respond to truth the way we are. And that's why we can reject truth. There's many ways. So to accept biblical truth as the only truth is not to also reject your family. If biblical truth was not the way in which you were brought up, if biblical truth was not a priority in your home growing up, for you to now establish biblical truth as the truth, not just in compartments of your life, but across the board, we have to, again, and I've said this throughout the weeks, and if you missed any, go back and listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube. But if we have at any point felt like I can't be disloyal to my family, I can't do something different than what they do or they believe because that would hurt them, then we're stuck. We're frozen. Here's the thing. You don't have to change your mind and then go preaching and Bible thumping them over the head with your newfound freedom because truth does bring freedom because it brings security. So let yourself off the hook. Also, again, that by you having a standard of truth when your family doesn't or the hero in your life doesn't is not disloyalty and you shouldn't reject truth for that either. So here's some practicals on how do we find truth and implement truth. We do it through silence. Now, of course, we do it through the Bible because the Bible is the standard of truth. But many of us have heard the Bible for years. We read the Bible. We have a devotional. We read scripture. And yet, and we know people who have done all those things. And yet it doesn't seem like they live their life through the filter of truth. Well, what is the missing piece? I wonder if the missing piece, the missing component is silence. We underestimate the power of silence. So if we were to do an exercise right now, which I won't make you do because probably everybody who's watching will just drop off if I were to say, we're gonna sit for a minute in silence. You'd go, I don't have time for that. I mean, gosh, we want, we want, I know I want this. I want to know the news and clip it. Uh, Aubrey and Isaiah watch Snapchat news. And I told Aubrey one day, I'm like, show me what you're learning. Cause she knows as much as me and she learns it in Snapchat like that. And so, uh, you know, we want it in snippets. And so for us to even sit in silence and not be uh, getting ahead or accomplishing something just seems so dumb. But if you were to sit right now for one minute of silence, and if you're watching this on YouTube or on the replay on Facebook or on the podcast, I know we're live right now, but if you were doing that right now, you could pause this, give yourself 60 seconds, and then come back to this. Okay, now if you came back to this and you did do that exercise, how did that feel? Did it feel awkward? 
Did it feel uncomfortable? Did it feel boring? Imagine also when you do that with the people in a, in a room. You know, when you're at a football game and it's, we're gonna take a moment of silence. Uh, sometimes that power of the peer pressure to stay silent is very moving and it's easy to stay silent. But it also can be uncomfortable because you hear this guy cough and then that lady sneezes and then that person coughs and then you're distracted and that minute begins to feel like 18 minutes. And then when we're alone, our mind can wander. We can be tempted to pick up our phone. We have lost, or we have underestimated at least, the power of silence. But Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And Psalm 62.5-6 through 6 says, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. I love that. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. That I wait in silence for God. So silence through reading the Bible is to read the Bible and sit in silence. It's to read a scripture and sit in silence. If I were to have a conversation with someone, like I am right now, I'm having a conversation with you, but I'm not coming up for breath. How in the world can I hear from you and what you have to say if I'm doing all of the talking? I don't know what you have to say. Right now, I'm not looking at the comments on this. I'm just just teaching. I'm having a one-way conversation. If I were to slow down or I were to stop or I were to call you up and we were to have a conversation or I were to stop talking and listen, I could hear from you. The problem is we can read our Bible. We can even prayer journal, which is awesome, and I've been encouraging you to do that throughout this study. But what about to sit after I've read the Bible? What about to sit and practice daily silence. Now, what if I can't get seven days a week? What if I get in three days a week? You know what? It's kind of like working out three days a week is better than zero days a week, right? Some of us have these unattainable uh, January 1st New Year's resolutions. I'm going to exercise seven days a week and I'm gonna eat broccoli and chicken for a year. And then we don't and we give up altogether. But what if we said, I'm gonna cut out Coke, or better yet, Diet Coke, because that stuff is poison. And I'm going to take that out of my diet, and I'm going to work out three days a week. More people succeed on that because it's attainable. So we might want to have daily silence. That might You could do that. I mean, you could daily silence to lay in bed for 30 extra seconds. I mean, I did that this morning for a couple extra minutes. I just laid there and said, God, and I could have jumped up. Um, I could have got going, which is my temptation, but I just laid there. And I started by asking him things, and then I just thought, okay, God, just speak to me. So it's really possible. It could be turn off the radio in your car and drive in silence and then say, God, I'm listening. Now, he's probably not going to give you this audible booming baritone voice to speak to you. But the thoughts that are dropped into your mind, the, the things that are dropped into your heart and spirit, as you are listening and you're listening for God, you're not in yoga chanting and listening for your inner self to talk to you or uh, Buddha, like there are lines you have to be careful because, because there, are, there are voices, there are spirits, and frankly, there's good and evil. So if you practice Reiki, tarot cards, uh, stones. If if you are um, if you are uh, trying to get energy from a source, it, if it doesn't uh, line up, and you're not saying it's actually Jesus Christ that I'm praying to right now, then you are and you are hearing or getting um, energy. There are dark spirits, and so much go into that uh, that bucket of evil dark spirits. And then there's 
the spirit of life, Jesus, and that spirit. There's good and there's evil. There are not good, evil, neutral spirits. It's not good spirit, evil spirit. Then those are just the spiritual world. No, you're either in the spirit of darkness and you're actually entertaining demonic or it's Jesus. And if you can't say, I am doing, praying to Jesus in Jesus' name, then no rock no energy, no tarot cards. And even when you feel, and I'm not saying they don't work. I'm saying that that is not the spirit of life. That is the spirit of darkness. Even if you're like, no, like a chakra is like a, that's a good feeling. No guys, that's, that's not truth. That's the opposite of truth. Only through Jesus, only in Jesus name, only in the spirit of the father, son, and the Holy spirit is there good spiritual life. Everything else is darkness. And so if I give time not to sit, like I said, in yoga, open to anything the world or the universe has to say, but sit in my room or sit at yoga or sit in my car and I'm like, God, speak to me or give me peace or I'm listening. It's a wonderful daily practice and it could be seven days a week at 30 seconds a piece or it could be three days a week at 30 minutes of, of reading and then listening. The scripture brings up a vital point about, um, about having rest, not just a daily practice of silence and hearing from God, but the Bible also talks about in Exodus and in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 16, it talks about observing a Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, the Orthodox Jews, we've been in Jerusalem a couple times, um, they have Sabbath mode. I have a friend who they got an oven and they have a Sabbath mode on their oven from Best Buy in Green Bay, Wisconsin. There is a Sabbath mode. Okay, so Sabbath and taking it to the extreme of Sabbath, like the children of Israel lead it through to the Jews, but also to the Orthodox Jews who would very much say, we can't drive in a car on the Sabbath. We can't do anything that creates work for us or others. Uh, that That is this deep feeling about the Sabbath, but a Messianic Jew who believes that Jesus is the Savior and all of us that are Jesus-believing Jews or Gentiles, what we would say is that what was effective for the Jewish people, uh, there's truth in that for us today, that just like uh, before the children of Israel were established— God rested on the seventh day, even with Adam and Eve. So this is throughout the Bible that there is a Sabbath day. Now, Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath and he got in trouble. Uh, so he said, listen, don't go by the letter of the law, meaning, you know, there's a Sabbath elevator mode. No, let's not go there. I can heal somebody who's in need on the Sabbath. I can pray for somebody on the Sabbath. I can go to church and us pastors go to work on the Sabbath. The point is that there is a time of rest. So for us as pastors, when Sunday is not our Sabbath, is it Saturday through or Friday night sundown to Saturday sundown where we are working, we are not working, we are resting and we are remembering why we're able to rest because God provides for us even when we're not working, when we give our life and our attention over to him. And so the Sabbath is important. We should have not just a daily routine of silence, but we should have a rhythm of weekly Sabbath a day. So let's talk about silence in four aspects. Practicing silence includes silence of the eyes. Silence may, may need for you, you may need to close your eyes. 
And think about the window. In fact, uh, they say our eyes are the window to the soul. So to close that window, to close our eyes. In fact, in Matthew 6, 22 through 24, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. You draw light into your body through your eyes and the light shines out to the world through your eyes. So if your eye is well and shows you what is true, then your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is clouded or evil, then your body will be filled with evil and dark clouds. And the darkness that takes over the body of a child of God who has gone astray, that is the deepest darkness, darkest darkness there is. Oh, that's basically saying it can be someone who's a child of God. So we have to protect our eyes, what goes in. And the first step, I believe in hearing from God on truth about should I be putting that letting that go into my eyes that that movie um, even that commercial when October comes and the demonic junk that is all over TV for commercials for the new movies coming out to scare us because it's Halloween season like close my eye I close my eyes close your eyes during that Sean and I we have this thing and our kids do too and now if anybody's at our house and this happens they're like oh my gosh but we close our eyes when it's a commercial whether it's a sexual or the even when we hear the scary music begin it could be like a spoof commercial for insurance but we immediately we hear the music or we see something and and it's a commercial and we close our eyes and go ah! or we sing a b c d e f g or mary had a little lamb like loud so we can't hear because i can close my eyes but i don't want to hear the drama and the evil and and that is because our eyes our ears in fact that's the next one silence the ears if we can shut those off to certain shows uh certain movies even commercials then that is the first step in uh, really silencing our eyes, silencing our ears is the first step in realizing there's certain things that shouldn't get in, okay? So the second one is silence the ears. The question is, will, um, will truth fall on deaf ears because our ears are deaf to Jesus? So a practice to knowing and taking in truth is silencing the ears. Number three, silence of the tongue. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 141, 3. Silence of the tongue because the tongue is this powerful organ of our body that controls so much. In fact, James 3, 5 says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. That's our tongue. So to silence our tongue, if we quit flapping our mouth, and started hearing truth more, we would control the things that come out of our mouth and we'd probably have less to regret. Regret. In fact, uh, I look back to social media. So many want to say, and the way they use their tongue now is through their fingers on social media, so many want to say their opinion. Um, and really there wasn't even any truth in it. Uh, Christians, Jesus people, don't use social media to share the truth in a rant. Do that relationally. Do that not through your thumbs. Do that through your mouth um, because you've silenced the mouth. You've taken in truth. You've digested it, and now you can share truth with others. And then the last one is silence of the mind. Uh, we have to silence. In fact, I'm sure that we all have struggled with worry uh, at some point or every day. Philippians 4, 7 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. 
Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Love that. When we silence our mind, God can just bring peace. Silence your heart. Proverbs 16, 9, this is the last one. Silence your heart. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so silencing your heart, because sometimes your heart is trying to plan something, your heart longs for something, back to people trying to find their truth. So many are told, follow your heart. In fact, when we opened the exchange a couple years ago, I have a mercantile collection, which is gift gifts and goods and decor uh, and books and stationery and things like that. So when I was purchasing wholesale to sell the items, there were, you know, there were cool things with quotes on them. But I noticed there was this trend for find your truth, uh, find your happiness, do what makes you happy, um, follow your heart. And you know what? Our heart has gotten us into a lot of problems. Our heart got me, my heart got me into a ton of problems in my lifetime over and over again. Because a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, Proverbs 16, 9. So I have to submit to the truth over what my heart is telling me to do. So sometimes I need to silence my heart. So here's one thing before we get into the last part of of basically the next chapter and the last half of this today is of um, these things, these five silences, which of these are the biggest challenge for you? Eyes, ears, tongue, mind, or heart. Which of those five are the most difficult for you to silence? I want you to record that. I want you to think about that. The second thing I want to ask you is what time will you schedule in your calendar to practice the power of silence? Maybe you're going to set your alarm two minutes later, or you're going to push snooze, not so you can go back to sleep, so that you can sit in silence with your eyes and your ears and your heart silenced. Maybe you're going to find a chair or a couch in a special room where it can be not only where you read the Bible and pray, but where you sit and you give yourself some silence. Write a few of the scriptures from that silence list that I went through, and you can rewind and you can um, look at those again, listen to those again. What were a few of the scriptures from that silence list that you want to remember the most? All right, now we're going to jump into teachability because once we know truth, once we know we need to read the Bible to find it, we need to be in silence to receive it and to incorporate it. Now we have to see, are we willing to be teachable on the areas that we need to change? Um, By now in our study, you've realized that you are significant to people around you, that what you do, I mean, we talked about this in previous weeks, what you do and who you are, it's significant to at least one person who's watching and many times many more whether that's a younger sibling whether that's a parent who just is lost right now or that's um, many people in your realm Um, but your recognition uh, that some things over the last few weeks had to be deliberately removed like family trauma family issues things that happened to you that didn't have to do with family but your recognition that you have to deliberately remove some things will lead to what we've also talked about in the weeks past, that there needs to be new seeds that are nurtured in you. Seeds that, like last week, we talked about peacemaking. This week, we're talking about truth. New seeds of peacemaking, truth, silence, and all of this makes us fruitful and grows us on our Jesus journey. So when we talk about teachability and we talk about uh, what does this look like, I want to share with you an article about a journalist 
that I read who uh, wouldn't go to the White House ball because it was going to be filled with uh, Hollywood celebrities. And he was quoted in this article I read saying, <coughs> a quick picture of me with a woman wearing a low plunged cleavage bearing dress can ruin my credibility. Now, I was stopped in my reading tracks by this journalist boundary because he didn't attribute his decision to church or religion. It made me stop and think, not every person who has standards is a Jesus person, but every person who is a Jesus person should have standards. So this isn't about church. This isn't about a religion. This is about Jesus. And it's about us correcting our actions so that we don't have someone who doesn't even attribute Jesus to their standards, outpacing us in their character and integrity and their standards. Uh, Jesus is who I'm representing. Jesus is who you're representing. So this is about being deliberate in our actions and and in how our actions convey our standards, because then our standards are established by our boundaries, and our boundaries are built by weighing them against the truth of the Bible. I am responsible to judge my own actions according to the Bible before I act, but I talked about this earlier. I was going to jump into this. The word judge has a terrible connotation. In fact, in Matthew 7, 1, this is what we've heard pastors say. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Already we're going, we must, we must never judge. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But here's the thing, many people who quote judge not from this verse fail to notice the commandment to judge, because it says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So that verse is actually saying, oh, you're to judge yourself. You're to get yourself in order because then you're to clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, how we do it can be kinder than a lot of Christians from the past have done it. But when I've worked on myself and I realize there is a place for judgment on my life in a, in a uh, accounting for myself, and I work on myself, the only person on earth that I can change, then I can and I should help someone else. So the last part of this this video and podcast today is that this, this is going to get all up in your Kool-Aid. My hubby says that not as much as he used to, but I think he's learned, he's told people enough, I'm going to get all up in your Kool-Aid. I'm going to get, I'm going to go there. Because I say these following statements to our staff and to my kids, and I feel like I can say this to you and you're at a point where you need to have this kind of a standard of truth and teachability. This is what I say to our staff and my kids. I say, we don't get to blank as Jesus people, fill in the blank. We don't get to blah, blah, blah as Jesus people. As Jesus people and as the Hennessy's, we don't get to go to boy-girl drinking parties. Sorry. And that's not just my kids who are 15 and 17, that that's not what they get to do. Sean and Sonny don't go to boy-girl drinking parties. Uh, as leaders in this church, and that, remember, that was as Jesus people and as Hennessy's. This is another step. As leaders in this church, you don't get to have unforgiveness towards that person no matter what they said or did. We don't get to. As Jesus people, it doesn't matter if they are separated. You don't get to have a relationship with that man or woman. 
You don't get to sleep with him or her just because the marriage is practically over. And a side note, like there have been things we've done to help people to get out of the, the tr- um, lack of truth and uh, the sin that they're living in that they maybe didn't realize was sin at first. We used to do a Marry Me weekend and we've talked about bringing it back now with the pandemic. We won't do that probably this year. But uh, we did a Marry Me weekend where we would marry up to 10 couples in two days for free. And we gave them weddings and paid for all of it because we thought we're gonna be a part of the solution because so many people are living together. So many people um, don't know that it's, it's, yes, there's a thing called adultery, And that's having sex with someone else's husband or wife. But fornication is also a sin. That's having sex before marriage, even with your fiance. And so because maybe they weren't raised around that, we we said, well, we have to speak the truth, but let's also be a part of the solution. We help people go through pre-marriage counseling. That's a huge part of what you have to do. And then we helped people get married. But here's the thing. As fun, if sin wasn't fun, um, Sorry, somebody called. If sin wasn't fun, truth would be easy to live by. But if we can know and we can remember that sin is a burden, that there's so much in those four little words, sin is a burden. Sin is enticing and it can seem like it's not a burden, but wake up the next morning with that feeling. Go through life and see how one thing after another has led to a feeling like, man, my life is a burden. Can we point it back to sin that has stacked upon sin, upon sin, upon little bits at a time? And it's a burden, but really the sin one time in itself, it is a burden. So I'm not going to get into the deliberate 10 that I thought about getting into today. I'm going to do that next week. And it's called the deliberate 10. And it's the deliberate 10, or basically it's four sin, or it's 10 sins that we may struggle with. And really, I think these 10 encapsulate the major sins that we struggle with at least one or maybe half or maybe all of them because truth is hard to live by. Sin is enticing. But then when we realize sin is a burden and we realize that these deliberate 10 sins are life controlling and we want to have the safety and the boundary and the standard of truth, we walk away from one or two or all of the deliberate 10 and we walk towards truth and we live in the security and the boundary of I don't get to, as a Jesus person, I don't get to do blank. As a Jesus person, I choose not to do that. That's what we will get into next week, the deliberate 10, as well as we will go over, let me see what our next week is so much good stuff, growth. So to go from from sin to truth is to have growth. And so we'll talk about that next week. I love you guys so much. Thanks for being a part of this study. If you need to catch up, you can go to the podcast, A Sunny Look at the Bible. You can go to Sunny Hennessy YouTube and you can find how to add Jesus to your today as this study. Uh, and any of the other videos that I've been doing. But thanks for being a part of week four of six of this study. I love you guys so much.